Hi, everybody. This is John Petrolis, host of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, another show from your friends at Gray. On Gray Matter, we explore the most innovative and inspiring ideas from creators, founders, and inventors. We dig deep to learn about the problems that led to big solutions through in-depth conversations. And right now, you can listen to our conversations with creators like poet Jay Ivey and comedian Cecily Strong of SNL, the founder of The Moth, George Dawes Green, the couple that started Unsplash, and the inventor of the not-reaching pouch, Jackie Carter. And this year, we have even more great conversations coming your way from innovators from industries including fashion, social media, tech, and more. Episodes are released every other Tuesday. After you finish listening to The Five Things, go check out Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you find podcasts. That's spelled G-R-E-Y, Gray Matter. Hello and welcome to the Hashtag Five Things podcast. I am your host this week, Joey Scarillo, filling in for Mr. Kenny Gold. It is summer, it is hot, but we are still bringing you all the latest and greatest in social media and sharing our takeaways for the week. So this week we have Juliana with us. Hello, Juliana. Hi, hello, Joey. And of course we have Amanda Davis with us. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Joey. And so this week, Juliana is going to talk to us about Instagram testing fan club stories. Uh, They're in NFT style collectibles. Um, I'm going to talk to you about Facebook launching live audio rooms and podcasts. You know, that is a big interest to me. Amanda is going to take us through TikTok launching jumps to promote third party experiences. Uh, Amanda is also going to talk to us about Overwatch launching highly anticipated crossplay. And Juliana is going to take us home and talk to us about Facebook filing a patent for an AR hat. You heard right, folks. So let's dive right in. Juliana, why don't you talk to us about Instagram and fan club stories? Yeah, so this is actually kind of like a twofold topic, basically just a bunch of things that Instagram is kind of throwing into the pike, um, not fully developed yet, but interesting to see how they play out. So the first one, this idea of fan club stories, uh, Instagram's basically experimenting with a new third stories option called fan club. So of course you have your public story, you have your close friends, and now there'd be fan club, which would allow users to post exclusive stories, content that can only be viewed by people who are deemed members of a fan club or approved group. Um, and not only would these stories only be viewable by these members, but you wouldn't be able to take screenshots of the content in these stories, which is so fun, so so exciting to me. Uh, and so this idea would essentially allow for Instagram users to create, you know, more content to be able to monetize uh, even further on this platform. And also assuming that, you know, paying members are going to be added to this list when you're pushing through exclusive content, you could then kind of have multi-platform, whether it be like your Patreon, your OnlyFans, your Instagram, all kind of doing the heavy lifting for you as far as places to make money. And then the second aspect of it, the NFT style collectibles, this is very, very new. Um, you know, they're just essentially, uh, Instagram's essentially playing with this new label or tag on their stories that would allow users to bid on digital items in their Instagram feeds. And so this idea is really meant to just allow for digital artists to showcase their essentially NFT like work, you know, use Instagram's billion plus audience uh, to become aware and ideally move to purchase. 
So there's a lot of cool stuff coming out of Instagram. My biggest focus, um, you know, looking at the story this week were about fan club stories, um, just in the sense that foremost, you know, it's really interesting absorption of OnlyFans, as I mentioned. You know, I've been constantly curious about how mainstream apps are going to kind of like wiggle their way into the space, get a piece of that exclusive content pie. Um, and I think that also will be interesting, you know, from the the perspective of regular users and influencers, um, you know, trying to understand as this rolls out more so what the pipeline from, you know, just a regular follower will be to becoming an exclusive in the in the fan club and essentially what type of content will be offered in order to make that a viable and attractive argument to people. And onto that as well, it's, you know, it's very interesting, this idea of kind of further siloing the internet, uh, you know, that kind of exclusive spaces where like-minded individuals be able to sit and bond and, and whatever have you goes on in these exclusive stories. For the NFT style collectibles, what I think is most interesting here from a marketing perspective is just to be mindful that if you thought the NFT craze was kind of a fad, which I'll admit I was one of those, you know, man shakes hand at cloud types, confused about what the kids were up to today. But given this actual investment being made from Instagram and of course, you know, parent co Facebook in the space, I think it'll be necessary to kind of keep your eyes on it and see if it's going to further develop into something real and uh, longer lasting. But that's just me ranting. I think the fan club thing is really interesting. And we've been talking about it on this podcast around, to your point, Juliana, the Patreon and the OnlyFan type um, ways that creators make money. And I think that everybody, including the platforms, finally agree that content creators should make money off of the content that they make. What is interesting, though, is we're moving slowly towards this world in which users, like everyday users that are even casual users will maybe need to pay or feel like they need to pay for content. And that shift of everybody agreeing that content creators should make money into actually paying for content. I don't know if that's as seamless as we think it may be. I mean, you know, if I'm a content creator, I'm thinking of things like um, Facebook gaming, giving 100% of the subscription to the to the streamer, things that are less active monetization flows, like uh, ad revenue, things like that, other than asking your follower to pay, you know, a Patreon is usually, I don't know, a dollar, $5 a month, something pretty cheap. But after a while, especially when you think about casual followers or casual fans, they might not shift into that lifestyle right away. So as these all roll out, I think they will gain a lot of traction with the people who actively understand and will pay for content. But I'm curious if it's going to get to a place where they can still make a passive revenue. Yeah. And I think the thing that's wild about this as well, you know, it kind of goes into this idea of hustle culture and the feeling that you have to monetize literally every aspect of your life. Right. So as a content creator, you know, is it enough to just post your flat lay of your t-shirt and you know jeans and converse, or is it necessary to charge me 50 cents in order to view that type of content? And so, yeah, so it'll be very interesting to understand what it's like in this kind of, you know, boring dystopia where in order to be a part of any sort of interaction, you have to pay some some sort of fee. So great as far as the recognition that, you know, if you're actually creating that quality content that you want to pay for, here's an avenue to do so. But it'll be very interesting to see what it's like as just a regular audience member when every single thing has a troll toll. Great. So next up is uh, me talking about Facebook and the live audio rooms and podcasts, which again, like I sort of teased out, I'm very excited about this. Facebook rolled out their audio rooms. I know we've been talking about it before in this podcast. I think we even 
mentioned what some potential names were going to be. Sounds like they're just calling them live audio rooms, right to the point. And these are, of course, going to be very similar to Clubhouse, like we've also mentioned. Um, but one of the features that I think is really cool is that they're going to be tied to groups, which I think is great because groups seems to be one of the, the functions of Facebook that really performs well. It's one of the things that's keeping people, millennials, uh, coming back to, to Facebook instead of you know veering off towards Instagram. Um, and so I think that's really, really great. And then the other piece of it that I think is really smart versus what Clubhouse does that they're, that they're adding is this section called front row. Whereas in Clubhouse, they have followed by speakers and Facebook is still going to have that section, but they're going to have this front row section for people who give credits to the speakers and give hearts and emojis. So that will sort of bump you up to the front. Um, and and help you support the actual uh, creators and the people speaking. Um, and, you know, this will be used for fundraising and, and we'll have a lot of charitable uh, connections to it as well. So I think this is a great move for Facebook. And I also think that the, the, the them getting into the podcast space makes uh, a lot of sense as well. So they are going to roll out. This is really exciting. They're going to roll out a mini player within the app for podcasts. So in theory, you'd be able to listen to podcasts while you scroll Facebook. Um, I, I would imagine that you would be able to switch apps and not have to stay in Facebook to listen. That would be a really bad user experience if that were the case. But um, to start off, they are um, they're going to have Joe Budden, uh, Jess Hilarious, and the Lady Gang. So all these podcasts are going to come over. I know that they're going to start rolling out more soon. I think this podcast will eventually be able to be found on Facebook, um, but you know, maybe not right away. Um, but they're going to constantly add more and more podcasts. And uh, right now, it's only in the US, um, which I think is interesting, because podcast consumption is is growing in a lot of other countries right now. So I'm sure they're just going to use uh, the US as the test market. But what I think is really, really interesting about this is, there's been a lot of, you know, when when people listen to podcasts, we've talked about this before, but Typically, they go to Spotify or Apple, and only sort of the heavy podcast consumers will be using apps like Pocket Cast and, um, and Stitcher. But what's nice about this is I think this will actually allow more people access and gain interest in podcasts. Uh, you know, people who, you know, might be on Facebook more, more throughout the day um, will now have uh, uh, an easier entry point into, into podcasts. So, I think this is really great for the podcast creators. I think this is great for the podcast community. Um, what do you guys think? I keep thinking about how maybe what, five years ago, the podcast thing was still relatively underground. And you have a lot of the you know, more popular podcasts now just being people that wanted to speak into a microphone and happen to gain that traction and riding the wave of the popularity. And I think it's so interesting and so great that there's being made the proper infrastructure to ensure that more people are able to have access to this. And I realize it's a cardinal sin to give a pat on the back to Mark Zuckerberg on this podcast, <laughs> but I, I'm very much here for it, especially because I do think that if you look at the timeline of access to podcasts, you know, uh, Apple 
podcast wasn't the most intuitive design and it made discovery basically impossible. So the only people that floated to the top were those that were at the top. Spotify, you know, trying to do their work there to make it a little bit more um, accessible. But again, then you need to be using Spotify pretty actively. Um, But I'm really here for the idea of there being a lot more space for podcasters and for people to be able to share whatever niche interests they have in an audio format. So you win this time, Zuckerberg. To your point, Joanna, like having the ability to share podcasts that are created by, again, people who are smaller creators or someone who doesn't have a following. But also like when you think about how podcasts are are found, it's usually through word of mouth. It's almost always through social media or someone telling you this versus any other kind of content that, again, the algorithm might serve you. So I think if Facebook finds a way to really use the algorithm algorithm in a way that's helpful to get the right content to the right listeners, it could be a big game changer for how podcasts are shared, are marketed, are, you know, discovered by new listeners. Because I think uh, Juliana's right. That's a really tough point that none of the platforms have really nailed yet. I realize now that given that I don't really listen to the radio anymore, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day that had their break for an ad spot. And I learned a new thing that's happening in the world. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot how much I don't get exposure to radio ads. So yes, Amanda, definitely to your point about the marketing aspect. You know, I think there's kind of the the feeling that you have to do away with that traditional format of advertising. Um, but, you know, feel free to throw your hat back into it because if there's going to be the ad break, might as well fill the space, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this is a good, like you said, kudos to uh, to Zuck and, and the gang over there. I think this is going to be really cool. Um, all right, Amanda, talk to us about TikTok launching jumps. So this one's pretty straightforward, but it is interesting. Um, they TikTok today announced a feature called Jumps, which allows creators to basically link out from their content to a third party. They call them mini programs. It's really just uh, you know a resource or service. Um, so you know if you're watching a video, they can link out to a longer form content, a recipe, a quiz, um, different things like that. Um, it's Snapchat already has something that's kind of similar where they will link you out from the platform to basically additional content in different formats. So you know this is interesting. It's not unexpected. I think Snap and TikTok are kind of chasing each other on the feature train. Um, But they both have this idea in mind that's really smart, which is basically creating a new, more varied experience of content. It's not, you know, it's not always going to be short form video that does the job that, you know, gives the message that people are engaged with. Sometimes you do want to have something that's a little more active, a little more engaging. You know, what is the right way to have that conversation or to to send a message from a creator? So this is just more resources, more tools that uh, while TikTok doesn't need to build these out as separate features, they can tap into third-party functionality that is going to do the job correctly. So it's interesting. I'm really curious to see how other platforms kind of, you know, take this idea of a holistic, you know, experience from watching the content to engaging with it to, you know, eventually a purchase or some kind of other action. I think we're going to start thinking of that journey a little bit longer. What do you guys think? I'm, I'll be very interested to understand what this will mean for the time on app for TikTok. If people can jump out, because I feel like a big part of it is, you know, that full screen immersive experience where you don't realize you spent three hours until those two guys tell you, it's time to change uh, what you're up to. Um, so I'll also be very interested in understanding what this will mean if they're kind of encouraging people 
to go outside and touch grass effectively. Well, that's, that's, I like that phrase. Um, I, I think it's actually a huge flex for TikTok because one of the things that's interesting is I think they know that people will come back. And whereas Instagram, it keeps you on and, and it's very hard to link out to things on Instagram. Like if you can, um, if you can add a link in your stories, then that link, it, you know, loads within Instagram. So you're never leaving Instagram. Um, we were just to be candid, we were talking about, um, advertising, you know, for our podcast here. And one of the things is we, we put out posts on Instagram. Um, but there's no way to, unless you can do a link post, there's no other way to get to the podcast player, but I could see for other creators, um, you know, like, uh, like party shirt, for example, they could link out to YouTube maybe. And, and, you know, if you want to see a longer form version of this shorter piece, you can see it on YouTube or podcast creators could link out to podcasts. Um, I think it's great. I think this is, I think this is a really great move for TikTok. Um, and, uh, just making, you know, the internet more ubiquitous. Let's move right along. Um, Amanda's going to talk to us again, two in a row, Amanda. Um, this is right up your alley as, uh, the associate director of gaming, uh, talk to us about Overwatch launching their new feature. So this is a pretty exciting story in gaming this week. Um, Overwatch is a game. I'll first start. If you're not familiar, it has, uh, I don't know, like 6 million active players globally. So it's a pretty popular game. Um, but this week they've launched their cross-play feature, which basically means if you're familiar with a game like Call of Duty where people kind of jump in the game, they play against each other, whether it's your friends or you get paired up with players across the world. So starting this week, Overwatch has um, enabled crossplay, which means people across PC, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, whatever devices they have, um, can actually play each other in the same game on different equipment. So this is is new for Overwatch, but it's kind of become table stakes for a lot of major titles that you've heard of, uh, like Call of Duty, Fortnite, um, Apex Legends. So these are all games, again, that you guys have probably heard of because they're very popular. So when you, you know, are trying to play with your friends and you have an Xbox and your friend has a PlayStation, before you couldn't really play together. Um, and it was kind of a hindrance to, you know, are you an Xbox person? Are you a PlayStation person? What are we going to play? How are we going to, you know, have fun together? Um, so now that, you know, Overwatch has become so huge, incredibly popular, they've launched this feature. Um, it is worth noting PC players obviously get an advantage at any game than a console player would, so they'll kind of stay in their own lane. Um, but even just having Xbox players and PlayStation players together, that's kind of a big win. Um, the reason this is actually really exciting for brands is because, you know, if you think about something like the infamous Travis Scott Fortnite concert, uh, if that was something that you could really only interact with solo, you know, not in a live shared space, or if you only had a specific console, that wouldn't really be as major and as kind of mainstream as it was. If you were a brand that was doing a live event and you could only reach one of these consoles or one group at a time, and it's not a shared experience, wouldn't really be that exciting. So, you know, when you think of a game like Overwatch, 6 million players, I think their viewership, they're really popular for them in esports lens. Their viewership is like, you know, I think their last tournament was like up 50% viewership from the one before. So it's growing exponentially. The whole, you know, industry is growing. Viewers, players, understanding it as a household name. Obviously, as a brand, you really need to start taking notice of the gaming community. There's a huge overlap, no matter what your audience is. And Overwatch being one of the more 
I'd say inclusive games. You know, the playership here really does. It's, I think it's almost half and half male and female. It's people from all age ranges. Like it truly is. If, if you are a marketer or a brand, you probably have someone playing Overwatch in your audience. So this is a game and an update that is worth understanding. Like, you know, is this the time to figure out gaming? Is this a place where I can speak to my audience at this grand scale in a way that really feels authentic to the industry? So it's an update for Overwatch that's new. I think we'll see it in a lot of other titles in the next you know year or so because people do want to have those shared experiences. People don't game to sit in their room alone. Most of them don't. It's, it's exciting. And there's definitely places for brands to play that you might not think of or might be you know new opportunities coming up in the next year or so. So as always, encourage brands to figure out what their role is here because eventually you're not going to be able to ignore it. <laughs> What do you guys think? I, I think that's awesome. Um, open it up, right? Uh, I don't play, I'm not a gamer, I'll admit, but I do think it's great um, that, you know, there's now a platform for folks to play across um, the same game across different, uh, different platforms. What do you think, Juliana? Yeah, I guess, and very much in the same camp, not a gamer if you're not including Sims 3. And I guess my curiosity is, you know, the way that I saw the landscape when I was younger was there was that kind of like turf loyalty of you know I'm PC I'm console the specific console so is the general attitude of gamers also different sort of like that collapse of borders and the sense of camaraderie because they all like to play games so what's happening is you're moving more into like gaming as a casual pastime. I think when you talk to most most gamers like that are legitimate gamers that have been doing this for years are going to have their console that they love and that they want to play with other people and their friends have it, etc. There are also certain titles that are only going to be available for certain consoles. So not every title is going to eventually launch a cross-play feature. I think when you think about, you know, um, Xbox and PlayStation, there's certain titles that are going to be exclusive for those. But in general, Juliana, yeah, like when gaming becomes something closer to an NFL or watching ESPN or watching baseball, like maybe I don't love baseball, but I'll still go to a baseball game with you guys because I like it. You know what I mean? So like that kind of thought process starts coming in when you have casual gamers versus people who are, you know, esports players or more competitive that do stick to like their their tried and true regular sports, if you will. Regular. <laughs> well, I'm glad there's this symbiotic relationship, the reflection of the gamers' attitudes and the way that the actual developers are behaving and allowing that access. And it seems like gamers opening their arms up and taking embracing it fully. Yeah. Break down the old rules. That's what I say. <laughs> uh, all right, Juliana, take us home. Talk to us about, I'm, I, can, I can't wait to know about this. Talk to us about Facebook filing a patent for an AR hat. Well, Joey, <laughs> if the one thing stopping you from getting those AR Google glasses was this horrible feeling that it didn't take up enough of your head, rest assured, <laughs> Facebook is here for you. So this is something that was actually just kind of unearthed by um, this group Founders Legal who spotted the patent. And it appears that, you know, while yes, Facebook is still, you know, going full steam ahead, uh, developing a set of AR glasses, the team has also recently registered a patent for the first AR hat. And it sounds very silly, but the way that Founders Legal is trying to essentially unpack it is that 
The idea is the display would be incorporated into the brim of the hat to minimize contact with the user. Additionally, heat generating components required to run the artificial reality display can be given similar treatment and be incorporated into areas of the hat that do not have direct contact with the user, such as the brim. So effectively, it's a helmet so that you can have a little bit more, one, um, the amount of features incorporated into this AR experience, and also just to kind of take some of the weight off of what's sitting directly on your face. Um, so while this is still, you know, very under wraps, like we haven't even heard from Facebook on it quite yet, a big thing that is being noted is that, you know, part of the lack of success of Google Glasses was just kind of the base realization that it looked kind of lame. Uh, and there's a lot of work being done, you know, yes, by Facebook. We also saw that with um, the Snapchat lenses in order to create something that is as user-friendly as possible and something that people would actually want to engage with. So the actual AR experience, you know, of course, being a heavy lift and that kind of aside, Facebook is really trying to work their buns off to create something that allows for the experience to be immersive and engaging while also, you know, not... Uh, so gratuitous that you don't actually want to buy it. So don't know when it will be on the market, but uh, I hope you're ready for baseball hat season because Facebook's on the mo- on the move. It's always baseball hat season for me, um, as many people know. <laughs> I'm... But no, I think what's interesting is I wonder if um, you know for Snapchat they they partnered with Ray Bans for the glasses. I wonder if Facebook will partner with like a lids for the hat. Maybe this will be the way that AR breaks through um, into the mainstream. Who's to say? Who's to know? Amanda, do you have any thoughts on this one? Uh, No, I just was actually thinking what you were mentioning, Joey. I was actually talking about this with Kenny yesterday. And there are so many learnings of the, the glasses goggles era that just was such a failure that hopefully Facebook has taken some notes. I mean, hats are a very personal item that I think is like very specific in a fashion. So if they are going all in, not only on the tech, but also how do you make this a thing that people want to wear? You know, they got to, they got to do a collab with Off-White. No, I'm kidding. They have to do something though, that makes it like interesting to wear it, actually useful. People will want it. And then I think the adoption of technology might perhaps come after they think that it's a cool product. That's my, that's my thought. We can put the link to the patent in the uh, episode description so that all of our listeners can take a look at this diagram of a man with a hat on and the, I don't know, the AR lens at the end of the brim. It's, it's wild, friends. It's wild. Um, Juliana. I do want to note, though, that the patent has uh, described a variety of approaches to the hat. So could be a baseball cap, could be a visor, a cowboy hat, a fedora, perchance. So, yeah. Bring back fedoras. (laughs) (laughs) That's what really needs saving here. Yes. Uh, Well, that wraps it up for us uh, here at The Five Things. Thank you, Juliana. Amanda, thank you. Thank you. Yeehaw. Be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify and someday on Facebook, um, but not yet. Until then, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. 
Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.